Amen. Thanks, Zach. Welcome, everybody. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. It's great to be with you all, as, as you've heard already this morning. Um, this will be our last Sunday like this. We're going to two services, which is exciting, um, as we see more and more people here in the morning. Again, next Sunday, it's going to be even more because it's going to be two services. It's exciting to think about moving back to a place where more and more people are gathered together for worship together, and, and we get to feel like a family a little bit more in person. But if you're watching us online, we're also glad that you're with us. If you're new here, um, thanks so much for taking time to, to join and to visit us. So if you're not sure where we're at or you don't remember what we preached about last week, we've been in this series on the questions of Jesus. Throughout the gospel, Jesus asks tons of different questions, but the ones we've chosen haven't been random. We've actually been headed somewhere. We've been headed towards Holy Week. So we've been asking all these questions about Jesus, who he is as he's revealing things about himself, and we've been moving slowly towards this week. So you're going to hear another question today, then on Good Friday, then next Sunday, and these questions are getting more and more direct at identifying who Jesus is and what he's trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish. So this morning as we do that, let's go first to God and ask for help in prayer. Father, we ask that as we gather this morning, you would help us to see Jesus clearly. Help us to see his heart through this question he asks. We want to know Jesus more. So through the power of your spirit, we ask that we would know him, we would follow him, we would be challenged by him, changed by him, and that we would love him more. In his name we pray, amen. When I was younger, I used to watch someone on television that many of you may be familiar with, a guy named Bob Ross. Bob Ross is a famous painter, and he had this television show in the late 80s and 90s. You might even know him just from a picture. He had this huge perm, so he had this puffy hair. It was like a giant ball on top of his head. And Bob Ross would paint these just beautiful nature scenes. Now, he died in 1995, but he's even still popular today. I think his YouTube page has like 4 million followers. So he's still incredibly popular. People love to watch him. He had this sort of soft-spoken voice, and he would say these creative things as he was painting, right? He'd say, like, look at this, look at this little cute tree right here. He's just peeking. He just wants to say hi. He's lonely. You know, he'd say, this is a puffy cloud in the, in the sky. He's just peeking out. Look at him up there, you know? And he'd talk like that as he's painting, right? So people enjoyed watching him. They had a lot of fun watching Bob Ross. But one of the things that was interesting as you would watch him is that he would not always tell you what he was about to paint. Now, you knew it was a nature scene because that's what he did. But sometimes he'd just start painting. You wouldn't have any idea where he was going. Now, I pulled a clip up just in preparation for this sermon to watch him again, and that's what happened. He, started, he, he just sort of started splashing colors on the canvas, and he's spreading them out, and he's telling you to do all these things, but you don't even know where you're going. You have no idea what scene he's going to paint. Now, Bob knew what he was doing. He wasn't doing this randomly. He knew where he was going. But the audience didn't understand what's happening, what is Bob creating, what kind of masterpiece is he going to make today for us. 
So he's slashing away with his brush. He's putting all these beautiful colors on the canvas. But you're not understanding what's taking shape until later on in the show. What is Bob creating? What masterpiece is he making? So this morning, the reason that we're bringing up Bob Ross is that I think that this kind of confusion that you would get from watching him at times is the same way the disciples would often feel when they were with Jesus. Jesus is saying all of these things. He's doing these miracles. He's teaching. And sometimes they had no idea what he was talking about or why he was doing the things that he was doing. They knew this guy is a master artist. He is doing something, but they had no idea what that was. And that's what we see in this passage this morning. Jesus is going to do something that is completely shocking to the disciples. And they're going to have no idea what he's doing. And he knows that because it's going to lead to this question where he says, do you understand what I have done to you? That's our big question this morning. Now, as we go through the story, I'm going to point out what I think are two answers to that question. What is Jesus doing to them? What is he doing to us? I think there's going to be two answers, so listen for those. But the first thing we need to do is understand the context. There's this strange story about foot washing. Now, some of you all have been around the church, or maybe you've heard some of these things before, but not everybody. And so we want to go into the context of why was this such a big deal for the disciples, what was happening. So look at verse 4. Jesus gets up from the table, and it says that he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Now, already, we don't catch this, but this would have already caused a lot of tension in the room. Because Jesus has just changed into the clothing of a servant. The master, the teacher, the one they call Lord, has just put on the clothing of a servant at dinner. Now, you can imagine the tension growing in the room as the disciples who were just eating supper with Jesus see him get up and change clothes into this outfit that even Jew or Gentile in that culture would have looked down on because of what it implied about the role of the person wearing it. But then it gets even wilder. Look at verse 5. He then pours water in a basin, maybe something like this. He pours water in this basin. He gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is already odd for us, right? Because, you know, in our culture, we wash our own feet. The, the foot washing itself wouldn't have been a big deal for them because in that culture, washing feet, having someone wash your feet was, was fairly common. You know, you, in that area of the world, you wore sandals. It was a region with a lot of dust and sand and mud, and so your feet would get dirty. So it was common for you to arrive somewhere and to have someone wash your feet. But that someone was always a very, very low servant. In fact, so, such a low servant that there were rules that certain servants weren't even allowed to do it. Jews couldn't make Jewish servants ever wash their feet. That was reserved even then for Gentile servants. 
So in this moment, there is something really, really significant happening here. The disciples are really struggling to understand in this moment, what is Jesus doing? Their teacher, their master, the one they've recognized as the chosen Messiah, the Lord of the Jews, is dressed as a servant, doing this task that even the lowest Jewish servant would never be forced to do. So can you imagine how awkward the room would feel in that moment as they're all sitting around and Jesus is washing their feet? Now, if you've ever been in a socially awkward situation, you know that people respond in some different ways, right? Most people sort of stay quiet and you sort of kind of look at each other like, I don't really know what to do right now. I don't know what's happening right now. Okay, but the average person doesn't really speak up. But there are some people who like to speak up in awkward situations. And if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, you know that that is often Peter. Peter loves to not be silent. Peter loves to speak up in moments like this, often to his own detriment, but that doesn't stop him here. So verse 7 or excuse me, verse 6. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus gives this kind of very cryptic answer in verse 7. He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. So you got to think if you're Peter in this moment, you expected some sort of explanation from Jesus, And you don't get one. Now, if earlier I wasn't clear enough how radical an act this was for someone like Jesus to be doing, look at Peter's next response to that cryptic answer of Jesus. He says, you shall never wash my feet. Now, this is even more bold in the Greek. In the Greek, he actually says, no, you shall never wash my feet in eternity. Peter is radically bothered by what is happening. He does not understand why Jesus would ever do this. This is unbelievable for him. He cannot fathom Jesus doing this to him. But listen what Jesus then says. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, If this was already a a difficult moment for the disciples to understand, if this was already really confusing for them, shocking for them, think about what just happened in that moment when Jesus answers that way. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Suddenly, everyone is beginning to realize Something even bigger is going on here. As radical as this foot washing has seemed up to this point, it's just taken a whole different turn because Jesus is saying that there is something else going on here. He's doing something bigger than just washing their feet. Now, verses 9 through 11, there's there's a lot there. There's actually too much there for us this morning. It could almost be an entire 
uh, different sermon. In fact, there's even a lot of debate about what these verses mean. If you have questions about that, we're not going to get into it this morning. I would love to talk to you afterwards. You can come and find me and ask me what I think or, or what other people think. Suffice it to say that they continue this conversation to the point where Jesus feels like, okay, now I'm going to sit back at the table and I'm going to explain a little bit of what's happened. So Jesus finishes this conversation with Peter. He puts his normal clothes back on and he sits down with the disciples and then he asks our question this morning. Do you understand what I have done to you? I've done something significant just now. Do you understand? Look at 13 through 17. We'll read it again. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus asks this question. He begins to unpack the answer a little bit. He says, I've set an example for you. As your teacher, as your Lord, I am the last one who should have ever done an act like this. But I've done it. From the highest position, I've done the lowest act of service. And servants are not greater than their master. So if I'm your master and I've done this for you, then this ought to become the pattern for the way in which you treat one another from now on. In fact, he says, living a life like this in radical service for one another is the only way that blessing is going to come to you. And actually, this isn't something new for Jesus. Right? This has been the pattern, if you followed him through the Gospels, that Jesus has lived out. It's been the heart of his ministry all along. Listen to some of the things he's said in the Gospels so far. I am among you as the one who serves. Let the leader be the one who serves. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus has always had service at the heart of his work, but in this act, in our passage This morning, he's gone a step further because we've seen that Jesus isn't simply doing an act of service for them. He is doing something to them. He is making them into a certain kind of people. He's established a pattern for them to follow so that they would look a certain way. And they're just beginning to see that Jesus might be creating something different than what they thought. They're beginning to see that they are what Jesus is interested in creating. They are the painting that Jesus is slowly, slowly unveiling that's beginning to take form. And our first point this morning is that what Jesus is creating is a people of service. Not just a people who do service, a people of service. 
Jesus wants them to understand that he isn't just serving them in this radical way. He is transforming them. He is changing them into a people of service. Which means that all of us who are here this morning and call ourselves followers of Jesus are also being made into people of service. If you're here this morning and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are claiming to have a share in him. And like he told Peter, there is no share in me if I don't wash you, if I don't have my way with you, if you don't open yourself up to this new creation work that I'm doing. Jesus wants to do something to you. He wants to change you. Does that scare you at all? Does it scare you that Jesus actually wants you to be different? That from the inside out, he has a desire to change you. Well, if you're like me, it's hard enough to follow Jesus when he just wants to change the things that I don't like about myself or the things that I know are wrong with me. But if this passage is true, then there's more than that. He also wants me to lay aside some things that I might not be so comfortable laying aside. Because he laid aside the highest privilege, the highest position to take on the lowest position, the lowest disadvantage. Am I willing to be made into a person like that? Ask yourself this morning, where do I struggle with that? Are there acts of service that I shy away from? Are there people that I struggle to serve? Remember in our passage, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and that included Judas, who was going to betray him. However you struggle with that call to service this morning, what Jesus is calling us to do is look away from ourselves and at the world. The challenge of Jesus is to lay down our positions, lay down our privileges, lay down our very lives in service to God and the world that he came to save. But that's a pretty intimidating challenge because you and I, are not Jesus. Jesus seems to have some sort of superpower of service if you read the Gospels. Every place we turn, he's serving in these just incredible ways. But my heart isn't like that. I find excuses not to serve. There are people I don't want to serve. My heart constantly pushes back against laying aside myself for the sake of other people. So I read all this, and I understand that Jesus wants me to be a person of service. But I feel like I have a deeper problem than just needing a great example to inspire me. Well, the bad news is I do. I do have a greater problem than that. I have a heart problem. I have a problem with the very nature of who I am because I've been broken by sin, and so have you. So service is not the natural response of my heart. But there's also good news, and that's that Jesus doesn't just offer an example to make us people of service. Look back at verse 1.
when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. When Jesus asks, do you understand what I've done to you? He isn't just talking about washing their feet. He isn't just talking about how this radical act of service is going to inspire us to become people like him, to be people of service like him. He's talking about love. Do you understand what I've done to you? I have loved you to the end. Remember he told Peter earlier, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. He doesn't mean in a few minutes when I explain it to you. He means after the cross. When Jesus knew his hour had come to depart, he loved them to the end. Jesus knows what's coming for him next. This radical act of service, the great master, the great teacher and Lord washing the feet of his own disciples is nothing compared to the act of service that's about to happen. Where the great God of the universe will die a cursed death for people who reject him. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it is under the shadow of the cross. His water cleaning their dirty feet is just a foretaste of his blood cleaning their dirty, sinful hearts. That's what Jesus understands that the disciples don't see yet. That at the cross is where radical service and radical love are going to meet. Jesus' heart is one of service and love because he is both the most loved and most loving person in the universe. Verse 4 says, Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose up and washed the disciples' feet. You see, Jesus had absolute, ultimate confidence and security in his Father's love for him. And that overwhelming love from the Father to Jesus overflows into radical love for others. That is the force behind Jesus' radical service. And that has to be the force for us as well. Back to Bob Ross. Bob Ross loved to paint. And he loved to share his love of painting with people and invite them into his world of painting. He used to say that he loved to get people addicted to painting. But he also knew that simply teaching people to paint, giving them the skills to paint, wasn't going to get them to love painting. He actually had to invite them into his love of it. So do you remember the name of his TV show? 
If you had to guess, you might say, well, it's, you know, learning to paint or painting with Bob or something like that. The name of his show actually was The Joy of Painting. You see, Bob wanted people not just to see his skills or the beautiful painting he produced. He wanted people to see his joy, his love of painting. Because he realized what our passage says this morning, which is love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is transformational. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is transforming us through love. And so the example of foot washing in our passage this morning will not be complete for the disciples or for us until service and love come together at the cross. So is Jesus creating a people of service? Absolutely yes. And he's creating a people of love. So what's that require of us? Just come to the cross. Come to the place where service and love are going to meet. Jesus is waiting there. He offers and promises resurrection and new life on the other side of it. Jesus is inviting each of us into the love and service of the cross so that we might become people of love and service. There is no other way to be transformed except at the cross. There's no other way to be changed except by the person who performed the greatest act of love and service, Jesus. That's where we're going this Holy Week. Next Friday, next Sunday, come and hear about the cross. Come and hear about the new life and the transformation that Jesus offers. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've heard about this incredible act of service that was countercultural and was shocking and was, you know, all of these amazing things just in its context. But we've also, I, I think, seen how there was something bigger going on. That the heart of love that your son has for us was shining through in this act. And that he's inviting us into that kind of life a life of love and service. Father, we ask that we would be people like that, but not because we try harder to be, but because we've been transformed at the cross. And so in Jesus' name, we ask this morning, amen.